Welcome to the After UCU podcast, a podcast where we talk to UCU alumni about how their key experiences during and after their time at University College Utrecht have propelled them in their life's work. I'm your host, Kim Donaldson from the alumni office, and I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Titus de Jong, class of 2009. Before attending UCU, Titus trained as a semi-pro tennis player. His drive continued during and after UCU, helping him gain over nine years of commercial experience with international companies. In 2021, Titus co-founded Unveil, a platform where galleries, photographers, and collectors can easily find one another, and art photographers can show and sell their work in a safe, simple, and transparent way by applying blockchain technology and NFTs. Wow, that's a mouthful, but he'll tell us more about this now. Welcome to After UCU, Titus. Thank you very much, Kim. Thanks for having me, and uh, that's quite an intro. Well, we're really happy to have you here today. Um, there was a lot in that introduction, um, and I'm excited to hear about a lot of it as well. Um, but maybe you can just start off by telling us a bit about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, let's start with the beginning. So I'm an alumnus for uh, UCU. So I did UCU at, started in 2006. I was there for three and a half years. And prior to that, I was a professional tennis player in Barcelona, where I played under the guidance of Bruguera, the two-time Roland Garros champion. Um, so yeah, I carried that sport mentality with me throughout my academics uh, as well as my career um, so at UCU itself I uh, majored in psychology so I did all the psychology tracks uh, and I did a minor in criminology I realized soon after at UCU that I was when you would when you go into psychology a little bit more you tend to go into the more clinical aspect of it and that's not where I wanted to operate so I thought how could I apply something that you learn through psychology, but then applied in the business and commercial world. Um, so that led me to do a, a master's in Leiden, where I did social and organizational psychology, and that sort of kick-started my career in the tech space. Awesome! Wow, you've uh, you've done quite a lot of things. I feel like I also I looked you up, and you're also fluent in how many languages? Uh, I would say four. <laughs> Uh, so my wife is Brazilian, so I speak Brazilian Portuguese, uh, English, uh, por uh, Spanish, because I lived in Spain for four years, and Dutch. Amazing. Yeah, a really, really, uh, a very cool path. And I think a lot of alumni and students also did psychology and similar tracks. But I, I think it's really nice that you figured out soon what did work for you and what didn't work for you in which direction you then wanted to go in. Um, so uh, about your time at UCU, like how did you actually find UCU in general? Like I'm always curious how people found this liberal arts and sciences college in the Netherlands. Yeah, it was a, <clears throat> so I came from Barcelona after uh, doing the academy, the tennis academy. So I wanted to look for something international uh, and not going to the, the Dutch uh, academic path per se. Um, and looking back at my time at UCU, it was, I look at it from a very different perspective now than I did while I was there. I think that also has to do with age. When you're younger, you're a little bit more yeah, go with the flow, complacent, naive, um, and not realizing that some of the things and decisions you make during that time can be 
quite impactful for the rest of your your life. Um, uh, not to say that when you're young that you don't look into the future, but you're more carefree. Um, and that's how I experienced my time at UC. It was a very uh, a good time for my personal development, social development. Uh, I think the academic standard is is of a, a quite a high degree. So um, looking back, back at it, that did give me a lot of opportunities going into the future. Um, yeah, and I was also on the campus. I'm not entirely sure how that uh, the campus is still there or there, there's some plans <laughs> all right yeah, that's every year that's sort of a thing but i think that made it truly special to live amongst at the time there were 600 odd students uh, and who were practically yeah a large part of it was family yeah the campus is still there thankfully marta is still running the campus so um i guess not that many things change in the end but uh it's nice to hear that you enjoyed your time um, in an international environment. And I think so cool that you went from Barcelona and then into this environment, which uh, had so many different people. And I'm sure in tennis and in that space, you came across a lot of other players as well. Um, I just had one last question for you. See, like, do you remember anything that was your favorite experience there? Like, is there something that vividly comes to mind? I remember, um, the bar quite quite vividly actually well not what happened there but that i did frequent it quite often um, <laughs> that still exists not in the most sober state of uh, minds um obviously i was part of uh, a fraternity uh, one of the two the ACTES. i don't know if there's more but at the time there were two um and i was uh, president for ACTES for a year um which was very memorable uh, I made a lot of good friends at that time. Thanks for telling us a bit about UCU. And I think it's really good to know that you took your experience there and you've developed um, into what you're doing now. And I think you've also entered a space that um, given that UCU doesn't currently have a sort of like computer science program or anything like that, it's actually always very impressive, at least to me, that people go into some of these really unique tech spaces. And um, I kind of, I'm curious to know, like, how did you find that path? Because in terms of your career path, I think you took a number of steps with a number of companies. Um, so maybe you can just briefly explain how you kind of found that trajectory amongst those companies. Yes, of course. <clears throat> so um, after graduating and actually after doing my master's, I met uh, a girl and uh, she's now my wife. And I told, I told you before, she's Brazilian. So after I completed my master's, I did, just decided to move there. Basically, I, I figured I have a degree in my pocket. I've got a couple hundred euros on my account. Let's just see what happens. And, and I did. And I actually spent over a year there um yeah really like integrating into a very different culture with a very different mindset it's that really opens up your own perspective of how people live and and yeah, what else is there to life so I, did, I was there for a year but really couldn't really like get my career uh going and because of visa constrictions and restraints um so i had to move back so i moved back a year later and then started working in a small company called so wi-fi so for most people that have uh 
yeah, studied around the time that I did when I was in Amsterdam. So Wi-Fi was a small company that focused on providing free social media or social, free internet access through the likes uh, on social media. So oh, wow. you basically install routers at different venues, hospitality venues, hotels, restaurants, bars, etc. And then if a guest would like to use the Wi-Fi of that particular venue, you would have to like give you would have to give them a like on Facebook and that would create a sort of a yeah sort of an exposure to uh, to, to that place. Um, so that was the, my first introduction into sales and into technology basically. That, does this idea still exist? It was actually sold quite recently um, but it, it's yeah it, that's about what is it now? 10 years ago, uh, that, yeah, that was at that time, that was quite innovative. And especially what we're about this company is that the data that they gathered around the, the usage and, and sort of the traffic that different venues would attract, that's the stuff that they could use to sell on data marketplaces. So that the, the, the owning the data basically meant uh, uh, and that was the lucrative part of the whole business. I'm really excited to also jump into what you do now and try to find out more about how, what made you want to become an entrepreneur and start your own company. So, I come from a family where my dad is an entrepreneur. So that some, somehow I think is uh, somewhat decided in your genetic makeup. Um, you either are a risk taker, you like a thrill and an, uh, and an adventure, uh, then, but insecurity and, and, uh, and other things as well. So. I think that's that's part of me and who I am. Uh, so I always wanted to venture into something for myself. Um, so I worked at different tech companies, uh, both uh, extremely large and, and mid-sized uh, in various roles, but I always felt um, boxed in, in a certain way where, where uh, I had other people telling me what to do. And I don't know, I have a, I seem to have a little problem with authority sometimes. Uh, and it's, so it's more about, it's more about, uh, having other people's stories be sort of the thing that you need to, t you need to mimic and imitate and not being able to choose who you want to work with. So those two conditions for me were very strong motivators to start something for myself, to tell my own story and to, to choose who I want to work with. Um, the whole story around my company now, my company Unveil is actually quite a coincidence because I don't come from the art world per se. I come from the tech world, but a good friend of mine, he's an art photographer and he basically was trying to find a way to give himself more exposure. Um, because he was a recognized, he still is a recognized art photographer. He was signed by a gallery, but he realized even though he, he had that label, he wasn't able to make a living off of the art that he was selling. So he was trying to figure out ways, more e-commerce options to provide sort of a marketplace where he could, you know, have more digital presence. Uh, and I was always very interested in technological developments, financial systems, etc. So I started uh, in Web3 in 2017, 18-ish. So I've seen the extreme highs, but also the, the, the terrible lows 
um, still going through them, by the way. Um, so most people come in blockchain for speculative means, just to earn a quick buck. That's where it starts. Some people stick for the potential of the technology that it can bring and it, that it can that we can use to sort of disrupt existing business models. And well, we can dive into that, how that would work. Um, for photography, it's very apparent because for photography, it means going from analog to digital. So getting exposure online, but then using blockchain as a way to provide provenance for work. And that's, that's the most essential thing that blockchain brings. Everything is publicly available data. So now, data is fragmented when it comes to what artist is selling where to whom for what price that's all local hyper local at gallery levels so there's basically no no historical data and track record of, of an artist and one of the most important things in art is the history is the provenance if you know a museum collected a certain art piece or a famous um, collector has, uh, you know, has procure, procured the work that does something with the work that makes you as an artist exponentially more, uh, more demanded. So blockchain gives a lot of interesting components to this market. And we're seeing obviously the, the hype with the NFTs. We can get into how that works as well. but. It actually offers real world solutions to uh, an existing market where most people struggle and actually the, day of the, the light of day to get, you know, to get their work be seen. Your idea is not only because you love tech in this space, but really to help elevate and give opportunities to artists essentially who otherwise could sometimes struggle to have that sort of space, but also it gives them something tangible. In history, I love that's just very much an impactful approach, I would say. And it's just such a unique space. Like, what is the metaverse? Is that also do you work within that as well? Yeah, these these concepts they seem to collide. So you 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 seem to hear a lot of uh, things flying by. So blockchain, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, metaverse, all these are on the intersection of a new way how we can own assets, both physical and digitally. Uh, and how we interact with those assets and with, even with each other. So the metaverse is just an, yeah, see it as a, an alternative reality. Uh, I don't know if you know the game Fortnite, that could be a metaverse. Uh, it is in, this, in a sense, but it's, a, it's basically a, a proprietary environment. And where blockchain comes in is that it makes the metaverse a public good. It makes all of the assets become liquid, interchangeable. Um, you know that you um, immutable is also one. So you know you cannot tamper with the blockchain. It's very hard to do, um, and also um, guarantee the right of ownership. I think that's one of the most beautiful things it does. You can really say if there is five particular works on the blockchain which are unique. There will never be a sixth because it, if it's not programmed on the protocol, it will never be programmed after. So you basically as a creator, you can set the terms at which you, which you create. And that solves for the art industry that solves a huge problem that they've had, especially in photography, 
because making a copy of a photo is one of the most easy things to do, right? Right? Take So what you've described, not only has it helped me, but I'm sure it helped a lot of people who are listening. Um, just to go back to the term NFT, I mean, I really want to make sure people know. So an NFT is a non-fungible token. Is there anything specific within the fine art photography NFTs that's impacting the photographers or the consumption of our images? Like, I think you gave a hint of that. It's just like it becomes finite and you know who has created it and they have ownership. But yeah. what else can they do? Yeah, so NFTs in a sense are unique registrations on the blockchain, whereas other cryptocurrencies are interchangeable one for one. Um, so it's the uniqueness that makes the NFT, well, it makes the N in the NFT, uh, the fact that it's not interchangeable. Um, what, how, so there's different ways to treat NFTs. So you can use it for various use cases, but think about anything that you can attach value to and anything that could be uh, tradable. Uh, so think about, for instance, a, a deed on a house or uh, ownership certification of a car, uh, you name it. So those things could actually be registered on the blockchain. You don't need to go to a notary to do that anymore, technology-wise. And for the art world, there's different ways you can apply it. So we use NFTs as a... Um, we like to consider it as a new carrier for art. And that concept is somewhat still, we're sort of driving that narrative where you say like, okay, well, if you have an, an image and it's in a book, then it might would be worth very little because the book is published. So you've got, for books, you've got a publisher, but that same image in a frame on the wall might be worth a couple thousand euros because it's framed and it's through it went through the traditional gallery system. And now we've got a new vessel or new vehicle, a driver or carrier that is called the NFT. So the NFT is the, 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 the basically the me metadata within the NFT describes the conditions, the token, the image, how to interact with it on the blockchain. And that, creates, that creates its value. Fantastic clear <laughs> you might have to come back to ucu and do a course what your company does and what you've chosen to do sort of with this career path is really help a lot of people and to sort of move forward in the tech space and i think that progress is something we all know is happening i think we've seen at the start of this year also in the realm of ai a lot of things coming up so it's really cool to see that you've just taken a stake in it and you said here we go and i think it's so unique also to hear that you're sort of writing the story a bit like you're really at the the beginning of this um so the outcome I think we'll hopefully be able to thank you for in the, already because you exist now. Do you have a lot of um, photographers that you guys are working with already who have said, okay, unveil, I need to get involved? Yeah, so that was an interesting uh, question to me as well. So how do we get photographers excited? And so the, the art space in itself and the photography space as well is a political uh, field. So. There are certain streams and, and uh, 
condition set to what makes a good photographer, what makes a good, good artist. And it's not always the one that sells the most that is deemed the most uh, established. So in order for us to get entry into the photography space, we need to get basically everyone that is um, yeah, an, an entity of trust or authority to, to come along with us and to, to think of Unveil as credible. Um, so we hired the director of Unseen, which is uh, the largest photography fair in the Netherlands, one of the biggest in the world, actually. It's, uh, yeah, it's very interesting to see like beautiful artwork uh, being displayed there. And the director is also there is also our artistic director. So he has a very good entry point into the existing photography space. And we didn't realize we could get the caliber of photographers signed with us or even interested in what we do um, because we thought, well, those that's actually not the market that we want to serve because we want to help the undiscovered uh, piece of the market, the people that don't have access to the gallery system that you know have a hard time getting exposure, uh, especially in pe people that are in more remote places or less uh, you know favorable um, countries or where art is not such a big thing. So through him, we got the very, very top excited about what we do because they see it as a new way to express their uh, artistic vocabulary. Um, and for instance, we're going to have a call with the team of Mario Testino. So talking about big names. <laughs> so that's, that's quite exciting. It is, we do, we do this particularly like go and start with the top because once we have the top to, to, you know, to go along with us, then we can start to address more of the the rough diamonds and the stars of tomorrow, how we like to call it. Oh, the stars of tomorrow. Oh, that's nice. And it's probably not been easy, I'm sure, like to get that first foot in the door. I think it works out that you've connected with Unseen, but I'm sure that took a lot of energy to make that connection and that first, yeah, click happen. But it's so nice to hear that you're just moving along and the steps are going and yeah, Unveil is truly, um, making a name for itself. It's oh, you've had it since 2021. Um, you've started and I'm curious, like how your experience as a co-founder has been, because you're also CCO, but what does your job look like a day in the life of Titus now? Yeah, that's, uh, that's also there's so there's no one telling me what to do, which is uh, different for a lot of people. So when you do when you start for yourself, it's it, the energy needs to come from from yourself, right? It's not like I wake up for a, a great salary because that's not the, the main driver. Uh, if I wanted to do that, I would go to a big firm and then work nine to five and then just um, here I'm going a little bit beyond the beyond like the, the sort of the means that I want to achieve. I'm going for uh, so what excites me is disruption. And so when I wake up, I think about, OK, how can I help a market? with exciting new business models to get give them access to something they wouldn't get access to and just just thinking about the concepts of what blockchain can mean to them um, that is very exciting and very rewarding also to see that it actually works um, so yeah what, what does my day look like i come in the office uh, in the morning uh, i take care of like basically uh, i run the operation so i do all of the operation uh, anything from marketing, sales. Uh, we're currently in a fundraise, so we're doing also, also investment uh, management, which is sort of a full-time role 
on its own. Um, yeah, uh, building the platform, um, thinking about UX, UI. Uh, we've, we've got one of the best designers, I think, in Europe uh, working for us. Uh, he's my co-founder. Um, and uh, so we've got, we've got a very good team. We've got about eight people that are working on this, various roles in various uh, uh, degrees. But yeah, it, it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster because every day is, is, is different. Can imagine. But it sounds like the energy you have to go from day to day is what keeps it going. So I don't sound, it doesn't sound like you'll lose that energy anytime soon. What's been your favorite or maybe least favorite part of this entire journey with Unveil? Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds wonderful to, um, you know, to work for you and to, I mean, it's different from freelancing because I'm not selling my time. I'm creating something that's bigger than myself. Uh, not just selling my hours, um, but with that, it's also how do you get something that's in your head and then make it come alive? And it costs a lot of time and effort and traction. And, and it's it's not something that is going to happen. Like anyone that wants to start a company, success will never come overnight. Well, they, it can. Uh, I haven't experienced it yet. It's a very slow process. It's just. You need, you need grit for, for this kind of work. Um, so yeah, does that bother me? No, not at all. I think it's, it's, it needs to be part of your personality in a way, uh, which sports also gives you, right? If you link it back to that, it's about winning and about dealing with adversity and struggle, etc. So those elements, they do come back. Um, big highs and, and extreme lows and, and never a boring day, basically. Is there anything you do uh, to stay really balanced or to keep sort of an even keel, like a nice titus from day to day, whilst you know you don't know exactly what every day will hold? Yeah, so uh, I do think uh, that in order for you to be a successful entrepreneur, you need to take care of yourself. If you can't take care of yourself, how can you take care of your company? Um, so that translates into everything you do. So it needs to be, you know, a good focus on mental uh, wealth, physical health. Uh, so I meditate. I, I'm a big CrossFitter, actually. So I love to go to CrossFit four or five days a week. I play paddle. So I, since I play tennis, I start transitioning to paddle, um, which I love as well. So. Every day there needs to be like a sort of a physical activity that I do, and and you also need time to recharge. Uh, so phys physically recharging, yes, but that's also exhausting. You also need to sort of clear your head and uh, yeah, and uh, uh, take time for you. I would love to hear if you have any sort of outlook on what's going to happen in your sector, like in your industry, like where do you think the challenges lie for NFTs or like strides to be made? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so I'm, I'm quite outspoken also on LinkedIn on the current market and, um, I'm not the biggest fan of the crypto space as it is now. I am a, a big believer in its potential. So we've seen sort of a, a you know, an, a hype phase basically. And it had to do with obviously the monetary uh, 
liquidity that was you know very very little uh, interest rates from central banks so everyone was sitting on their money they couldn't travel because of covid so what what did we do we started investing into riskier assets and that's what we've sort of seen so everyone including our grandmothers started buying cryptocurrencies no idea what it was but it seems to just go to the moon and never back that's what we thought um it's pure supply and demand mechanisms but the moment things start to turn they turned quickly um so i think we've sort of hit that bottom and we've we we have um this the speculative momentum sort of gone and now what we're in is we're in a phase where we're going to see sort of all the the shit projects get move out and start to get real use cases being introduced so how do you apply this technology it's not just about having a flying sheep with a bazooka on his back and having that being sold for over a thousand dollars i mean that market's still there that's primarily the market we see now uh, you know traders that speculate based off of being there first and then sort of you know being able to trade it on the back of someone that comes later um, but nfts will become uh, the standard when it comes to owning assets and as with assets i mean any asset in the world so anything that you can attach ownership to and that you can trade will become an nft and i'm 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 safe to say that's going to happen within the next 10, 10 years, um, maybe even quicker. So looking ahead, I think it's about how do you position yourself uh, looking at these changes? I'm sure you've had people talk about open AI before uh, as well. Um, how do you adapt in, a, in an ever adapting world that's sort of exponentially changing? You know, uh, I think for us to set ourselves up for success, we need to be, uh, we need to understand the material well, if you want to create in this world. If you want to participate in this world, you only need to understand the application of it. So understanding how blockchain works and NFTs and all that, you don't need to know. Like, do you understand how the engine of a car works? You probably don't, but you do know how to drive one, right? So it's about applying what is being built. and. We're in a phase where the infrastructure layers are sort of being defined as we speak. Different chains are coming out and they are setting the standard for, for tomorrow. And companies like ourselves, we're trying to use what we understand from the technology and try to apply it to a real world problem. And that's the, that's the phase we're exactly in now. So how do we get the masses to understand what we do to get them onboarded, to sort of guide them, because it's a, you know, well, if you do psychology, the, the first thing, one of the biggest drivers we have is fear, fear of change. So how do we get them to be less fearful and a little bit more interested about the potential that it brings? You know, everyone was also fearful of telephones and computers and maybe, uh, you know, people drive, getting into a car with someone that you don't know. Well, now we have all of that. So that change will happen. It's just gradual and you need to guide people through it. So it seems like, yeah, to anyone who's interested in this space, um, that you would have listened to this podcast and have an idea what's out there in it. Yeah, this is the time. Uh, the challenges exist, but I think you're knowledgeable of them and that kind of makes it approachable for sure. 
But what can we expect then from Unveil this year? Yeah, so we're launching uh, Unveil end of the, uh, the month of May. So that's our marketplace is going to be released. And what does that mean? We're going to have a spectrum of 30 odd photographers that cross the space of the photography uh, industry and sort of cover everything from highly commercially successful to uh, uh, very particular museum collected um, represents a certain style and anything in between. When we launch, we're going to launch with very exclusive work that's going to be only available, new work, only available through us. Uh, and when we start to see first successes, then we start, we're going to announce more artist-focused drops. So uh, we call that drops, releases of the work. Um, and then we're going to promote each artist uh, and specifically, like, individually. Um, we have a Discord available, so you, if, if people are interested, they can uh, go to Discord. It's unveil.art. I can also, maybe you can share a link after. Uh, our journal is available that will give get people, uh, give them information on anything regarding artist highlights, uh, sessions around, not just around photography, but also around Web3, how to navigate through that rabbit hole, um, how to get started. And we're actually, we just signed a big collaboration with Futures, which is a um, an entity that has 500 of the most talented European photographers. And they are going to be in a cohort where we're going to guide them from, I don't know anything about blockchain to, I'm going to realize my first sale on the blockchain. Um, so we signed a multi-year partnership with them as well. Amazing. The whole spectrum. <laughs> Yes. That is so cool. Congratulations. It's, it's going to be a big year. I'm sure you're, yeah, you're busy. Thank you so much for this time. My last questions, just what's next for you? And I also want to hear what advice you have for alumni, but probably students who are listening. So what is next for you? Where do you go? Do you just work? Uh, I'll definitely just work. Um, I think so. We're in a interesting phase. See, we need to see how this is gonna uh, sort of evolve. When it comes to my advice to students, I think probably people have said this before, but um, take take life. Don't take life too serious. You need to enjoy it. It's about. It's really about the journey. Uh, people get too caught up in materialistic, you know, destinations or, or status things. And I think it's more about how do you feel? That's the best barometer for your, for your, for your own success. As a consequence, as a, as a consequence of feeling well, you will do well and you'll probably get all of those things as, you know, but not, that shouldn't be a goal in itself. It should be about feeling well and, um, if you want to get into Web3 and, and blockchain, I think you can educate yourself extremely uh, easily today. Um, just go on, you know, buy like the Bitcoin standard, just for the first book I, I read about the blockchain or go on YouTube, but try to find sources that are reliable, but there's a lot to learn about it. You can, you can teach yourself about this space. Um, and um, yeah, and I'd love to share more about 
what I do with others and if I can help in any way, then I'm, I'm always open. And, uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. First up for a lot of people would be to follow you on LinkedIn because you post some really cool stuff and it's not, I feel like you don't only post about um, like the space you're in, but just things you find interesting. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, is there any other space that people can follow you or connect with you? Like LinkedIn is one, or do you have a Twitter or Instagram, whatever? Yeah, I'm, I'm most active on LinkedIn, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I, I actually think, just a side note, LinkedIn is going to be the next Instagram-like social media. It's a very, has a super interesting proposition. LinkedIn is being utilized as a place for recruiters to find jobs. That's not what the algorithm does so you can get a lot of traction on linkedin if you use it well um and get a good audience as well so but yeah follow me on linkedin uh, or discord you can also join the unveil discord uh, i'm there every day chatting with photographers and photography enthusiasts so uh, very happy to see people there awesome Thanks. A nice link back to um, Marika McCloskey, the episode before you, who works at LinkedIn, <laughs> UCU grad. So good to hear that we're using that space and that is um, going to move students and alumni closer to understanding what you do. But I guess for today, thank you so much um, for your time, for enlightening us on this entirely new space which for a lot of people, but one that's really great, like gaining traction and also for telling us about Unveil. Um, I feel like we'll all be ready to see at the end of May what you guys come out with. Very nice to be here. And uh, thank you so much for allowing me to, to have a slot here. <laughs> <laughs>